Ordinary people. That's our subject of the morning. I'm an ordinary person. Every day that I get up, I feel ordinary. And I don't say that in a self-deprecating way, but it's just reality. I'm ordinary. I, my family does not have great wealth or social standing. I haven't made some great accomplishment so that people as a whole, a large groups of people, they don't know me by name. I haven't invented something that has changed the course of, of people's lives on a daily basis. I'm ordinary. And as I look out over this audience, unless some of you are hiding something, I think you're just like me. You're ordinary. But that's a good thing. Because we can see throughout Scripture where God has used individuals and groups of people, ordinary people that are committed to Him to accomplish great things. I want us to look at Scripture this morning and we're going to recall some examples from the Old Testament and we're going to look at people that were ordinary. You know, we think uh, we, there's people around us that are just easily recognizable. I can mention the name Bill Gates. Probably most everybody in the world would know that he's a guy that invented Microsoft software, uh, an operating system that is used worldwide. People know him by name. We think about doctors that have come up with treatments for cancer or other diseases, scientists that have developed vaccines, and these people are famous. They are known by large groups of people. But you know, that's not what God has called us to be necessarily. He wants us to grow where we're planted, so to speak. He wants us to have a, a, an influence on those around us and use our talents that He's given us to His glory. As I said, we want to look in Scripture this morning and find some examples. And let's start with David. David was a young man. He was a shepherd boy. The prophet Samuel was instructed by God to go to the house of Jesse and he said, I will show you who I will anoint, who will be the next king over Israel. Samuel looked at all the older sons of Jesse and he, through God's revelation, was told that these were not the ones that would be chosen. And he asked Jesse, he said, do you have other sons? And Jesse said, well, my youngest is out in the field tending sheep. And we know the story that when he was brought before Samuel, God instructed him that this was the young man, an ordinary young man, that he would choose to lead his people, Israel. As we continue to read the story of David, we find that he was in the household of Saul and he was trained. And he went out to battle and he gained great favor with Israel because of what he was able to accomplish through the power of God. We see that Saul became very jealous of that and, and because of that, David ends up on the run. And we're going to read an example in 1 Samuel 22 where David has left. He is being pursued by the armies of Saul. He's hiding in a cave in the wilderness. David cries out to God and he said, I need help. And let's read in 1 Samuel 22, beginning in verse 1, it says, David therefore departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. So when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. And everyone who was in distress, everyone who was in debt, and everyone who was discontented gathered to him 
So he became captain over them, and there were about 400 men with him. David needed help, and he cried out to God, and these are the people that God sent to David. The Bible says that they were in distress, they were in debt, and they were discontented. Does that sound familiar? I would dare say that all of us have been in one of those categories at some time or another. I can promise you I've been in all three at one time. We can identify with those things. We're ordinary people. These are things that are part of our life at time. And so that's what I want us to look at is how these people handled it. And not that they continued to stay in that state, but they changed their course through the power of God and they became useful in His kingdom. The Bible tells us these men were in distress. Their own lives weren't easy. They didn't have it all together. They had problems of their own, but yet God sent them to David. The Scripture says that these men were in debt. They had, hadn't experienced a lot of success in the past. They had been stung by their past failures. They had problems of their own, but yet God sent them to David. The verse says they were discontented. The Hebrew word for discontented means bitter. They knew the bitterness of life and they were not satisfied with their life or their king. They wanted something different. They wanted something better. And God called them. As we look at this verse, we see men that are just like you and I. They have been knocked down by the circumstances of life. They had struggles on a daily basis. But God chose them. God sent them to David to help in his time of distress. As we continue to read about these men, and I would encourage you to do that in 1 Samuel and in 2 Samuel, in those books, we see how these men, ordinary men, became known as the mighty men of David. The Bible says they were distressed, discontented, and in debt. But you know, David's men, even though they were ordinary, they didn't stay that way. They came to David before he was king. They came to David before they had any great accomplishment. But it was the character that they gained, the lives that they lived, and the decisions that they made while with David in the wilderness that made a difference in their lives. These men came to David when he was down and out. He was hunted and despised by King Saul. But they came to him in distress and they came to him to be of service. I want us to see how they were transformed. And I ask you, what is it that changed? How did these ordinary men become men that were known as mighty men that accomplished great things? I think the reason is found as we, as we finish the reading here in 1 Samuel 22. It says that David became captain over them. This was a team that needed a leader. And through David's leadership, this group was transformed. They came to him in distress, in debt, and discontented, but they didn't stay that way. We will see that these men became men of confidence and of courage. You know, while each of us have our own different experiences, our challenges, our own struggles, our own opportunities, 
It's our individual choices that determine the direction of our life. Let's continue reading in 2 Samuel 23 and, and see the change that is brought about in these men. Beginning in verse 8, it says, These are the names of the mighty men whom David had. Josheb Bashabeth, the Tachmanite, chief among the captains. He was called Adino the Esnite because he had killed 800 men at one time. And after him was Eliezer, the son of Dodo, the Aoite, one of the three mighty men with David, when they defied the Philistines who were gathered there for battle. And the men of Israel had retreated. He arose... <coughs> He arose and attacked the Philistines until his hand was weary and his hand stuck to the sword. The Lord brought about a great victory that day and the people returned after him only to plunder. And after him was Shammah, the son of Ag the Herite. The Philistines had gathered together into a troop where there was a piece of ground full of lentils, so the people fled from the Philistines. But he stationed himself in the middle of the field, defended it, and killed the Philistines. So the Lord brought about a great victory. Great accomplishments that these men were able to do, and the Bible says they did it through the power of the Lord. I want you to notice that in each, each verse, when it speaks of these men's accomplishments, it said the Lord brought about a great victory. As we study these men, I want us to understand there are two distinct marks of these mighty men of David. First of all, they were attracted to, the, to David's person, to his character. And second of all, they were committed to his cause. I believe that these two characteristics are related. It was the attraction to David's character, his person, that motivated these men to commit themselves to David's cause. In a similar way, it will be our attraction to the person of Christ which will motivate us to commit ourselves to his cause. You know, these mighty men weren't there because they had to be. It was a voluntary thing. They went to David in the cave. They served David with devotion. And I believe that the love that these men and the devotion that they had are described as we continue to read in 2 Samuel 23. Let's read there beginning in verse 13. And the three of the thirty chief went down and came to David in the harvest time under the cave of Adullam. And the troop of the Philistines pitched in the valley of Rephium. And David was then in an hold, and the garrison of the Philistines was then in Bethlehem. And David longed and said, Oh, that one would give me a drink of the water of the well of Bethlehem, which is by the gate. And the three mighty men break through the host of the Philistines and drew water out of the well of Bethlehem that was by the gate and took it and brought it to David. Nevertheless, he would not drink thereof, but poured it out unto the Lord. And he said, Be it far from me, O Lord, that I should do this. Is not this the blood of men that went in jeopardy of their lives? Therefore, he would not drink it. These things these three did, these three mighty men. Can you imagine that kind of devotion? Here they are in the heat of battle. The Philistines are right there in front of them. And David just simply says, man, I'd like to have a drink from the well of Bethlehem. He was longing for something that was familiar to him, something that brought comfort to him. These guys didn't even think about their own life. They went through enemy lines 
went and got the water and brought it back to David. That's true love and devotion. That is committing your all. That's giving everything that you have for the cause. These men had a purpose. You know, every organization needs good men and women. There's absolutely no organization that we can be a part of that is successful without people who get busy and get the work done. I simply ask each of us to ask ourselves, will we, will we be that person? Will we be the one that's committed, that gives our all? Or are we going to be the ones that sit back and talk about the way things should be? You know, our families need mighty men to lead them. This congregation of the Lord's church needs mighty men and women who will stand for what is right. That will follow God in faith and set the example for others. Your employer needs people who will get the job done without complaining and murmuring. Our God needs mighty men and women who will stand for Him in this present evil world. And I simply ask you this morning, are you willing to do that? Are you willing to do the hard job without applause and recognition? I believe that as we consider God's Word and His promises, we know and understand that with God's help, we can be that type of person. I want us to think again of, of the examples in the Old Testament and we're going to talk about Gideon in, in the book of Judges. You know, throughout Israel's history, there was a continuous cycle. The, sin, the people would sin. They would fall away. God would allow another nation to overtake them. There was a time of oppression. After that, there would be a repentance and God would then deliver them. And Gideon lived in such a time. Gideon lived in a time when the Midianites were oppressing God's people and, and the the Bible tells us that for seven years they oppressed Israel. God had come to the decision that He was going to send a deliverer and He goes to Gideon. The angel of the Lord goes to Gideon. In verse 12 it says, And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him and said unto him, The Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. If you read that, we find that Gideon was behind a wine press and he was threshing wheat and he was doing that so that he could keep the Midianites from knowing he was hiding it. The angel of the Lord comes to him and says, God calls on you as a mighty man of valor. Now what does Gideon do? He does exactly what I do a lot of the times. He made excuses. He said, well, he said, you know, my family is poor. Besides all that, I'm the very youngest in my family. He, he had all of these reasons, all of these excuses why God couldn't use him. But yet God saw something in him and the Bible says that He called him a man of valor. Are we like Gideon? Do we come up with every excuse in the book as to why we can't be used by God? What's your excuse this morning? You know, we all have a job to do. And how many times have I said, well, my job doesn't allow me to do that. I don't have the time. I've got family pressures. I don't have the support at home that I need. 
all kinds of excuses that we can give as to why we can't do what we're called on to do. We have been through a time of great struggle in, in the political world. and We have seen people that have just become totally paralyzed by what has happened. We've had this attitude of, well, the world's coming to an end. But our service to God has nothing to do with politics. We cannot allow the latest crisis to paralyze us and keep us from being used. Let's read in Hebrews 11. And I apologize. I've, most of the scriptures that I'm using are New King James Version, and I didn't always get that noted on the PowerPoint. So this particular reading is from New King James. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good testimony. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the Word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and through it he being dead still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death and was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. I would, I would encourage you to read the whole chapter of Hebrews 11. It's a very encouraging chapter. But I hope we can see through these verses that we must be motivated by faith. And that faith has to cause us to take action just as these did. Again, let's go to the Old Testament. We're going to use King Asa as an example. And again, we had this same pattern. The kings of Israel, we'd find good kings that, write, that come to power. They make a turn. They repent. The nation of Israel thrives. And then we would see kings that came along and, and they totally disregarded God's Word and God's people suffered for it. This is such a case in 2 Chronicles 16 and verse 9. God had told King Asa, He said, because you sought alliance with the king of Syria, you are going to suffer the consequences. But verse 9 to me is a verse that I find very, very interesting. It says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show Himself strong in the behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward Him. God wants people that has a heart for Him. This Scripture says that God's looking to bless and to help those who have a heart for Him, a heart for service in His kingdom. We must have a commitment that rejects the attitude of the crowd. Again, I want to go back to Second uh, Samuel as we have discussed the mighty men of David. I'm not going to read this whole uh, reading, but we find here as we've already read that Eliezer was one of the mighty men and it says he defied the Philistines who were gathered in battle and it says he did so when Israel retreated. 
He stood alone. The Bible says that he fought so hard that his hand stuck to the sword. It says Israel had retreated. Are you going to retreat? You know, we are living in a time right now that we see people, Christian people, involving themselves in the latest social media cause that's out there. People are retreating from what we know is true of what we find written in God's Word. Changing their stance on things such as abortion or other issues that, that are being discussed today. Are you going to be the one that stands strong? Are you going to stand and reaffirm what God's Word tells us? Are we going to be those that retreat? <clears throat> In this example of Eliezer, the Israelite army had fled, and if you'd taken a vote, it would have been an overwhelming decision to surrender. But Eliezer ignored the majority, and he stood for God. If the church is going to move forward and advance the cause of Christ, we need men and women that ignore the crowd mentality and stand for Him. This is a very short verse, but I, one of my very favorite. In 1 Corinthians 16, it says, Watch ye, stand fast in the faith, quit ye like men, be strong. It's kind of a strange wording, quit ye like men. But it means stand up, act like a man. The New King James Version uses the word brave. And it speaks of a maturity, of moral conviction. And I simply ask you today, are you going to be such a person? Are you going to stand upon moral conviction, upon biblical truth, and not waver? As we think about these mighty men of David, these men were not in any way passive. They weren't just on the defensive, but they were on the offensive. Again, in 2 Samuel 23, we read in verse 20 of Beniah. It says he was a valiant man. And if you continue to read those verses, it says Beniah fought an Egyptian. And if you look at the at the verse there, I find this real interesting. It says that Benaiah went with a staff. He had a stick in his hand. And the Bible describes this Egyptian warrior as being a great warrior. And it says he had a spear in his hand. It says Benaiah goes with a stick. He takes the spear away from the Egyptian and then kills him with his own spear. It also said that Benaiah killed other men who were strong and mighty warriors. It also says he went down to a, in the pit on a snowy day and killed a lion. Now I'm going to tell you one thing. If I find a lion in a pit, I'm going to keep walking and I'm going to just leave well enough alone. But that wasn't his attitude. As I said, he wasn't passive in any way. He was on the offensive, ready to take action. I believe that one of the greatest dangers that we face in the church today is a passive attitude. Am I the one that sees a job that needs to be done but figures that someone else will do it? We must be people of initiative. What does that mean to take initiative? That means taking the time to speak to our co-workers and our friends and tell them about Christ. 
It means initiating Bible studies, taking action, and, and doing things for yourself and not st waiting for someone else to do it. It's doing the very ordinary, mundane things that we think sometimes are just part of our daily life. But we've got to understand that what we do on a daily basis has an impact on God's kingdom. I believe that we need to come to the decision that I will do what's right even when the odds are against me. That may be you as an employee seeing what's going on in the business behind the scenes or under the table and refuse to be a part of it. It may be you as a spouse realizing that your marriage is in difficulty and that, that your spouse may not want to make it work, but you take the initiative and you do that anyway. You do what, everything that you can within your power to reconcile. It may be you as young people, as teenagers, who refuse to go with the flow or go with the crowd because you know that that's in direct opposition of what God desires of you. I would ask us all to think of the words, no retreat. All of these mighty men of David that we've talked about had a mindset of no retreat. When it came to the things that ought to be or things of right and wrong, it was integrity and tenacity that drove them. It's my fear and it's my concern that our generation has lost some of that tenacity. We must remember that our battle is a spiritual battle and we have to be engaged each day. Let's read from 1 Timothy 4 beginning in verse 9. This also is from the New King James Version. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance. For to this end we both labor and suffer reproach because we trust in the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially of those who believe. These things command and teach. Let no one despise your youth, but be an example of the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Till I come, give attention to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Do not neglect the gift that is in you, which was given to you by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of of the eldership. This is admonition that Paul has given to the young man, Timothy. And he said, you're going to suffer. He said, there's going to be naysayers. There's going to be people out there that, that discount you because of who you are or because of your age. But we have got to understand that we all have God-given abilities. And if we choose to do that, we can to use them we can be used by God in a great way. We also have to come to another decision that I will not give up even when none stand with me. And again, I go back to the, the example of uh, Shammah in 2 Samuel 23. It says that the Philistines had gathered together and they were in a piece of ground that it was full of lentils. It was a crop. It was an area of crop that was being produced for food. And it says that Shammah, even though everybody else fled, he stood his ground. He was there to protect. I think of the words, no reserve, no holding back. God loves it when we give all that we have to His cause. When we hold nothing back, Scripture says, that we are to love God with all of our heart, 
soul, and mind, and our strength. The Bible calls upon us to become a living sacrifice. It tells us that our lives are not our own, but that we have been bought with a price. I think too often we are concerned about our ability, when in reality God is not concerned with our ability, but rather our availability. Are we willing to use what He's given us? Are we available to do His work? No matter what our ability is, God can use it. And I want you to think about that. It's not your ability, but your availability. Let's read in 2 Corinthians 8, beginning in verse 1. Paul talks of the churches of Macedonia here and of the mindset that they had. He said, Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. For I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely willing, imploring us with much urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering to the saints, and not only as we had hoped, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. I like that reading because it says these people gave their all. They had a heart of service and it says they gave themselves first to God and then to the people. They had a mindset that they were willing to do anything and everything that they could. If we're going to truly seek God in a sincere way, we have to give ourselves to Him completely. Paul calls it a living sacrifice. You may think in the old law, under the old law, the, the sacrifices that were offered. You know, when a person brought an offering to God, they brought an animal, and that animal had to be killed. It had to be slain. It was a total surrender. There was no way that the person that brought that gift could offer it to God and still retain ownership of it. That animal was killed, and it was sacrificed. Even though Paul says we are a living sacrifice, our sacrifice still has to be complete. God wants unconditional surrender from each one of us. The third decision that I think we need to make is that I will stand in the gap for those who are around me. Ezekiel 22 and verse 30 says, And I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land, that I should not destroy it, but I found none. This was a time in Israel's history where they had forsaken God, and God simply says, I've looked everywhere and I've looked for someone that will stand in the gap, but I've found no one. I ask each of us to consider this morning and ask ourselves that question, are we willing to stand in the gap? And I think there's any number of ways that we can do that. As I said, it's just being everyday, ordinary people, but making choices that honor God. I think of our young families. We have so many young families here, and, and those of you who are parents, you get caught up in raising children. 
and I think you get tunnel vision at times. I know we did. But understand that what you're doing is a great work for the Lord. You're discipling young children. You are setting the course for the future of this congregation and of God's church universally. Understand that the things that you do every day, you may think that they are so insignificant, but they have great impact. You know, if we're going to stand in the gap, it means taking care of those who are widows, those that have difficulties, that, that can't care for themselves. It's doing the simple things like taking time for our children and, and other children that we see that we can have an influence on. The final decision that I think we need to make is that I will devote my life to the One who is above me. Micah 6 verse 8 says, He has shown you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. God has called us, ordinary people, to do great things. Let's read in 1 Corinthians, beginning in verse 26. For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised, God has chosen and the things which are not, to bring to nothing the things that are. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. God hasn't called us to be some great person that everybody in the world knows. But He's called us to be a part of a group a group effort. We are a part of the body of Christ. And every part is essential. And we find that uh, displayed in 1 Corinthians 12 and in Romans 12. Go and read those chapters. We must understand that the abilities that God given us, whatever that ability is, can and will be used by God if we will allow it. If we will just involve ourselves. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. I've, I've already read. I've lumped that in with the last one. But he says, always abounding in the work of the Lord. As we close this morning, I want to pose a question. And I was rec recently in a group study and this question was, was asked. Do you practice religion or relationship? And I want you to think about that for a minute. Because... Religion is generally defined as a system, a belief system. You know, we understand a relationship is, is something that we have between two people and how we respond to one another. And I pondered this question and, and we had a discussion about it, but I, I certainly believe it's both. We have a commandment to be here today. Religion or our practice of our faith in a public and a corporate way is a commandment that we have. But you know, if all of my spiritual life is contained here in this building, and if it is limited to three hours a week, I have completely missed the boat. 
it's not just religion, but it's also relationship. I've got to have a relationship with my God, with my Creator, that causes me to do things far outside of this building. And involving myself in worship on a daily basis and putting into action my faith. It takes both. As I said, God calls upon us to have complete sacrifice. Psalms 34 verse 8 says, O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in Him. I hope that you all see this morning that ordinary life can be quite extraordinary. I ask you to consider the things that we've talked about this morning. If you're here in the audience and you're subject to the Gospel call, if you have been taught and would like to respond to the Lord's invitation, that is a, an invitation that is always open. If you're here and would like to be baptized, we would encourage you to do that. If you are here this morning and need the prayers of the church, we would also invite you to come while we stand and sing.